Welcome to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese. Richard Jakes has written some of the most memorable game music for some of the most memorable games of the last decade. Most recently, he worked on the Muppets DLC for Little Big Planet 2. What's DLC? Well, let me tell you. DLC is short for downloadable content, and it gives players a chance to continue playing new levels or missions long after the official release of the game. So, while Little Big Planet 2 was released in January of 2011, the Muppets DLC just came out at the end of January 2012. If you've never seen what Little Big Planet looks like, it is one of the most adorable games created. I was so excited to hear that the cutest game ever was getting additional content and that it was to be the Muppets. It seriously is such a delight to play. And it was even better to find out that Richard Jakes wrote the music. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for taking time to speak with me today. I've been really looking forward to it. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Before we even get started, I just want to read you what I have at the top of my page here as far as what I'd like to cover today. And then if you just want to hang up now, I understand. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. (laughs) Because this is what I have written down. Right. Little Big Planet 2 Muppets DLC. Yep. James Bond, Headhunter, Starship Troopers, Alice in Wonderland, and maybe a quickie about Mass Effect. Sure. Yeah, sounds I mean, good. this is crazy, Richard. These are games <laughs> that have all left a mark in some way. And I just have to say congratulations for being a part of each one of those games, along with many others that I haven't even mentioned. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a crazy ride. <laughs> it's quite a list. But let's go ahead and start with the most recent, which is a Little Big Planet 2. How familiar were you with the Little Big Planet games before you started working on the project? Well, I was already familiar with the first Little Big Planet. Um, I, I played that when it was released because it was such an innovative um, game that you know you can create your own levels and your own games. So I really mm-hmm. wanted to see what the technology was all about. Um, so I was very familiar with the overall um, style and sort of general quirkiness of the game. And um, you know, it's, it's quite heavily stylized. It's, it's, the concept artwork is absolutely fantastic, and yes. they, they really pulled off a, a fantastic job on that game. So. I played it through uh, quite a few times and I was um, very familiar with the, the game and the general concepts and, of course, the musical styling. My experience with Little Big Planet uh, was similar. You know, I got it right away and loved it. And every single person that I've ever had over to play that game has always wanted to come back and play it again. And that's pretty remarkable when you consider that a lot of my friends aren't gamers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems to have this knack of appealing to just a completely wide-ranging audience that wouldn't necessarily think about games. Mm-hmm. So how did you get uh, invited to participate in Little Big Planet 2? Well, I do a lot of work with Sony over here in London. Um, I know the music department there very well, and they invited me to um, create a few tracks for the game. They knew my style, they knew what I was uh, good at, and they've um, hired me many times in the past. So they actually invited me to to work with the the studio at Media Molecule, who were the developers of the game, um, and to actually sit sit down and write three tracks um, for Little Big Planet 2. So it was a a great invitation, and I was gladly able to take it up. It's kind of a perfect marriage of the British and the American with with the Muppets 
Muppets, and I know that the Muppet Show was was aired there too. But still, I mean, it's like the the Muppets, which are this iconic, you know, American, especially for my generation, growing up in the '70s and the '80s. Sure. And then Little Big Planet, which is just such an amazing game to come out of the UK to get to work on that project must have been pretty great. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, um, you know, I grew up watching The Muppets as a kid also, and so I was very familiar with, you know, all the characters and the mm-hmm. general zaniness of the show, and <laughs> also all the big musical numbers, you know, that's a big part of The Muppets. So, you know, when they announced that they were going to be doing the, the uh, downloadable content um, with The Muppets for, for Little Big Planet 2, that was just, like you said, a marriage made in heaven, really. <laughs> the uh, the quirkiness of, of Little Big Planet and the characters um, mixed up with all the zany um, antics of The Muppets. So yes. it was a, a really perfect uh, combination. Indeed. And the music is just wonderful. It's outrageously (laughs) wonderful. You must have had a blast writing this because, I mean, I don't dance, but I was dancing. I I dance every time I hear it. I just like bounce in my chair or whatever. It was, I mean, yes, um, you can probably tell by listening to it that I had a a real ball actually composing (laughs) that. It's, um, you know, it's times like that when it's a real joy to be a composer and to, you know, have the opportunity to let loose on, on something like that. I mean, I actually did quite a lot of jazz studying as part of my musical background. So I know a lot of the kind of, you know, A-list jazz musicians in the UK. So it was amazing to have um, a full big band in the studio playing music that I created for the Muppets. You know, it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity. And uh, yeah, I'm very, very, um, very happy with it. The first one I heard was Pigs in Space. And this is the first level you play, right? Uh, the yes. first true level that you get to play in the Muppets DLC. Correct. And... Just <laughs> the brass, and you've got this, you know, guitar with a wah pedal, and is it? I don't know if it's an own Martino or a theremin, but it, yeah, it's a it's a theremin. It's so <laughs> wonderful. Did they ask for? Because this to me was like quintessential like '70s sci-fi music. Sure, I mean that's that's the stuff uh, I was growing up with as a kid that I was watching. You know, we had the classic American shows um, syndicated over here, so I, you know, I was I was watching everything from the original, you know, all the cop shows like Chips and things like that, and. <laughs> <laughs> the original Battlestar Galactica. So I was very experienced with with the classic kind of 70s American TV sound. And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what we went for. The developers of the game, you know, definitely gave me a, a good strong brief. They said, you know, we want it, we want, we want this Pigs in Space track to be sort of 70s funk with a sci-fi element and things like that. And I, I'm actually a, originally a trombone player, so that's where ah. the uh, the brass kicks in. You can <laughs> you can probably hear I like writing those uh, those lines and stabs and things yes. like that for for the guys to play. So. Um, yeah, just just a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully we got we got that vibe right. You know, it's um it's something that I think if you know the younger generation of composers would would do it now, they would have to sort of study it and look at it. But it was mm-hmm. it's just completely in my psyche from <laughs> watching um, all those kind of shows. hysterical and it just it, it drags me because my background was pretty heavy in jazz too I w- I'm a trumpet player oh, and right. and so every time I hear Big Boss Bossa Nova I just want to give a high five to like the Barry Sachs player and the lead trumpet player because they yeah. just get a crank the whole time those guys absolutely rocked it in the studio I mean um, the uh, the lead trumpeter is actually the lead trumpet of um, the BBC Big Band as well so um, mm. he's um, 
an amazing player, and um, I, I like to have a Barry Sachs, um, you know, giving the giving a bit of bottom to the uh, to the overall proceedings. So uh, definitely, it was great to give them give them something interesting to do because a lot of session work they you know they might do pop tracks and might be doing ballads and things like that. But mm-hmm. I know how good those guys are, so I, so I wanted to give them something so they could let rip. Speaking of all of this brass writing, um, it, it leads me to actually ask you about your score for James Bond 007 Bloodstone. And your score for this game uh, came out in November 2010, but it just won a pretty big award. Would you be able to tell me about that? Sure, yes. Um, just recently here in London, um, there was a, a new awards called the Music and Sound Awards, which is the, the first year they've actually run it. Um, and it's actually sort of set up and organised and run by uh, various people in the media from the world of film, from television, from advertising, games, etc. So there are a, a large panel of um, very experienced judges who were looking at all the various categories. And um, I was actually fortunate enough to win for the best composition for um, the game category, which, uh, which was um, pretty amazing. <laughs> and seeing as it's um, you know over 12 months ago since the game was actually released, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's been quite a success for me um, over the last sort of 12 to 18 months. And this is the final sort of swan song before um, it's not eligible for anything. And it was just a, a great honour to uh, to receive that. How it just doesn't get more British than James Bond, and especially John Barry, right? I mean, fantastic film composer from Britain, Sir John Barry. He wrote tons of scores for James Bond movies like Goldfinger, uh, Man with the Golden Gun, From Russia with Love. The list is lengthy. Yeah. So how did his legacy influence your score for that game? Well, again, I grew up with, um, you know, the original Bond films um, throughout Sean Connery and uh, Roger Moore's mm. time as Bond. And John Barry is undoubtedly one of my favourite film composers and, mm-hmm. and one of the very greats um, and sadly no longer with us. But, um, you know, his, his legacy of just these incredible thematic content that he writes and develops and weaves throughout a whole picture, depending, you know, not just Bond, but some of the other great movies he's done. Yeah. You know, it's a real art form and uh, he, he really created the Bond sound. I mean, there has been other composers, um, you know, working on the franchise, and of course, more recently, David Arnold um, has been at the helm, another um, fantastic British composer. But I think it's it's that combination of symphonic and jazz, and kind of fusing the two together. That's what really makes the uh, the Bond sound. And of course, you know, the brass is is just raucous and loud and over the top. And I was very fortunate to um, to work with the, the brass section that play on pretty much all of the, all of the movies. You know. The great trumpeter Derek Watkins has played lead trumpet on every single Bond movie and I was very fortunate to work with him and uh, the rest of the guys, so uh, a great privilege. 
thing that I loved when I when I first heard the music for this this Bond game was that it, it sounded like I was in a Bond movie, but it didn't sound like you had ripped off. For, you, know, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like you just used those elements that you just mentioned to make that environment <laughs> seem like a Bond environment. You know, it was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, sometimes it's quite challenging for a composer working on, you know, an existing franchise or, or mm-hmm. something that has gone before. My main sort of point of reference was just to make it sound like Bond and to make it sound how I thought, you know, a Bond score should sound. Of course, there are some contemporary elements in there. Um, yes. But overall, the, the general thematic content, I mean, I actually wrote the main theme pretty quickly when I was actually just demoing for the project. <laughs> and um, that became the main theme for the game. And you can hear it sort of weave in and out. But um, no, we, we didn't, um, you know, go too close to anything that's come before. All new themes, all new material, 100% original, but but very much Bond in essence. So it is about that, that sort of bombastic sound and the over-the-top brass and then some really delicate sections and uh, the, the jazz influence as well. So, um, yeah, hopefully, um, you know, the fans would have uh, thought it sounded like Bond and they, they felt it was familiar territory, but, but all, new, all new material at the same time. more about the musicians you get to you get to perform with because uh, you touched on it a little bit getting to play with uh, some of the, like the lead trumpet player from the Bond series and the BBC orchestra and things like that but let's let's talk about these people because they're fantastic Oh, absolutely. I mean, for any composer, it's all about the the musicians and what they bring to the party when you actually get into the studio. Um, you know, when I was growing up, um, I, I grew up in a musical family and, and being a trombone player, I was playing in orchestras, big bands, etc. from a very early age. So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I had a... Yeah, very fortunate um, upbringing to be able to sit there and play Shostakovich one minute and, you know, um, some crazy big band stuff the next. And, and it's just, you know, what, what a human being can bring to their interpretation of a piece of music is just quite frankly astonishing. And, um, you know, it's something that I'd always wanted to do is, you know, I, I could have pursued a, a career in orchestral playing, but but my heart was always in the uh, the writing um, since mm. I was a kid. So, um, you know, back in 2001, I had the opportunity to work on my first big recording, which was uh, the game soundtrack to Headhunter. That was the first time there was, uh, we were the first people to record the soundtrack at Abbey Road Studios here in London uh, with the London Session Orchestra. And, uh, you know, that confirmed that uh, that's just what I wanted to do for the rest of my career, really. You know, the first time you hear a piece of your music played by a world-class orchestra, there's, there's really no, nothing like it, to be honest. of playing uh, the Headhunter games, but but how did that happen that you got to record at Abbey Road? I mean, that's pretty special. 
Yeah, very special. I mean, um, the game itself is quite a, a cinematic, story-driven game with a, with a very strong, bold uh, lead character. And so the director of the game wanted um, essentially a, a movie score. And, you know, even back in the sort of late 90s, there was hardly any orchestral material in games. The technology was still evolving at that point. There had been a, a couple done in Japan. But it was still pretty um, pretty early in those days to actually to, to work with live orchestras. Mm-hmm. But, you know, being classically trained, I, I said to the... Um, director well you know we can do a, a big orchestral score we can record it live and basically I did some sort of mock-ups and a, a few themes and played it to him and he said oh yeah this is fantastic this is mm. exactly how I see the game um, um, you know my vision for the uh, the score so yeah I basically just called up some players and some some contacts here in London and booked the studio and we we spent four days recording back in oh January 2001 I think it was so uh, a while mm. ago now but it, it it helped set the bar for um, colleagues of mine and other composers to come and record at Abbey Road doing doing video game soundtracks. I mean, a lot of my friends from the US come over here and, you know, it's great that they're using fantastic musicians and great studios and, of, and of course, there's lots of work happening in LA and in San Francisco as well. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's great for, for musicians and I think for, for the gamers and soundtrack fans as well that so much of this um, kind of material is taking place. It's almost commonplace now. didn't even pop up on my radar was Alice in Wonderland and and I think there's a number of reasons it didn't really pop up on my radar. I don't have a Wii (laughs) and I don't do PC gaming but also it's not live music and so normally I would not, I guess normally, I wouldn't bring it up so much but it's just such a charming little score that you, and I shouldn't even say little but I mean (laughs) it's, it's really charming music. Will you talk a little bit about it? Sure. Yes. Um. I mean, Disney contacted me about that project um, as the, the the movie was in development, and I hadn't actually worked on a project before where there was a game in simultaneous develop at the same time as the movie. So, of course, mm-hmm. Danny Elfman was working with Tim Burton very closely on the movie score. I had to create a completely original score, and of course, you know, we we hadn't seen any rushes of the film because it was still in production, and I hadn't <laughs> heard any of the music. But um, I knew I wanted to create a kind of magical fantasy score that was in keeping with the original book but also Tim Burton's take on it so we, we were able to look at various bits of artwork and see you know the production that he was sort of taking and the route he was going to take to make the movie which was great for me because I was able to interpret that in, in my own little way and um, you know there was a, there was about 50 minutes of music I think in the score overall and we did have a, a small live budget for a small string section and some, some vocals that were recorded mm-hmm. in the States um, and it was just you know a really um, good opportunity to explore that side of my writing you know it's very different from the kind of action music I write and I, and I do like the the sort of magical fantasy scores as well it's something that I'd definitely like to do more of because you know it's kind of um, a blank page really you can really do um, whatever you want so it's a great opportunity.
lot of composers have to be quite flexible to work with different directors or producers and you know they, they might have their own style that they would like to, to put across so it, it's good to keep the uh, creative muscles flexed and things like that and to, to learn and to uh, explore other areas of music. We've uh, mentioned a couple of times now that you're classically trained so you've you've got quite a diverse background in music but did you not move almost instantly into game music after you graduated? Yes, that's right. It was um, it was a bit by chance, really. It was uh, just as I was in my final year of university studying music that I actually was uh, given a job working for Sega over here in London as an in-house video game composer. So I had been playing games since I was a kid, and um, you know, been studying music and playing various types of music, orchestral music as I mentioned, but I was also DJing, I was writing dance music and electronica and, you know, playing in funk bands and just generally, you know, sort of soaking up what was out there and trying to take it all in. But, um, yeah, it was an amazing opportunity um, when I um, got the job at Sega. I, I could actually leave I think I graduated on a Friday and moved to London on the Saturday and started work on the Monday, <laughs> so <laughs> it was pretty uh, quick and um, I, I was ready for the, the big world, you know, I was ready to, to crack on with composing. I didn't didn't feel the need to take a break uh, as such. So, um, so yeah, I started um, working for Sega and um, working on all their famous, um, you know, game projects. And I spent the first seven years of my career there, which was a great experience, great opportunity. And, um, you know, I got to compose so many different kinds of music and really sort of hone my craft, if you like. Did you have that in the back of your head as you were going through university that you wanted to move into game music? No, back in those days, um, I kind of just imagined that it was all done in Japan because um, the Japanese publishers and developers of games were kind of, you know, number one in the world back right. then. And, and uh, it was still back in the days of cartridges. So I just hmm. thought, you know, the majority of them would be done in Japan. I, I had no idea that it, it would go the way it has gone with CD-ROMs and DVD-ROMs and live orchestras and licensed music. You know, I couldn't right. quite quite foresee that at the time. But it, it was a wonderful opportunity to just have a, a regular salaried job writing music every day I mean they don't exist really anymore most right. you know most companies don't have um, in-house staff it's all done as a freelance project but um, yeah I mean it was it was incredible and uh, had a very very good time there Starship Troopers. Right, yeah. I mean, um, one of my favourite movies. Um, fan <laughs> fantastic, fantastic book. Yeah. Fantastic book and fantastic movie. And I'm also a big Basil Polidoris fan who uh, created the score to the uh, to the movie. And um, that game was made in, I think, around 2004, 2005. Again, it was another opportunity to kind of do a big symphonic score. But the thing I love about Starship Troopers is that it has, has this amazing humour in it. And actually in the music as well, if you just take the, the score away from the movie and, and listen to it, you know, Baz Polidoris put some amazing humour in there, but it's still an you know, incredible soundtrack. So I was basically able to create my own uh, original score for the game. We didn't use any um, sections from the movie, and I really sort of tried to to follow that on um, because I felt that was very valid. But also, again, it had all my own original themes in it, etc. But it was it was a great project to work on a, a, a sort of 
space sci-fi movie, uh, game of a movie rather, and um, you know have all these great themes, but also still keep it a bit light in places and make it a little bit over the top as well. I think I think people would have um, got the humour in it. sad when they found out you wouldn't be working on Mass Effect 3 and (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know you and actually I should tell you that uh, people who send me feedback are always asking me to interview you which is fantastic fantastic (laughs) (laughs) but you did get a chance to work on on uh, Mass Effect which is obviously a a pretty pretty huge game too and uh, talk to me about that experience because there were a number of composers and and frequently are on on a project that big yeah, I mean, with, with something on the scale of Mass Effect, there's so much music in it. I think Mass Effect 1 had between three and four hours of music, and the sequels um, even more. It's part of the course, really, with with a game like that that takes sort of 60, 80 hours to play through, that there is a lot of music. So a lot of times um, there are numerous composers for, for lots of different reasons, but the main one is the sheer amount of work involved and getting it done in time. So I was actually brought on to Mass Effect 1 probably about three-quarters of the way through the development cycle to primarily work on the cinematic sequences which you know one of the other composers recommended me and he knows my style very well and he said I'll be perfect to do that so um, one of my favorite moments of that for the fans who've played it is um, towards the beginning of the game where the uh, the lead character goes to this gigantic space station for the first time called the Citadel yes. and um, it was a wonderful sequence it's about two and a half minutes long and, and they gave me the, the video sequence and I sat there sort of looking at it and, and marking it out and when the space station opens for the first time you, you can see it just peeking through the clouds and then yeah. it opens up and you get this, this sort of huge bright light and, and I've just put this really really nice big chord down and it was very unexpected you, you can't really see that chord coming and that was that was just an absolute joy to work on so um, yeah I did about 30 minutes of music for the game in all I think um, and it's just a shame that I, I was due to work on Mass Effect 2 but it, it was the exact same time schedule as Bond which I was already mm. of course working on so it, it sometimes happens like that it, it's, um, it's a shame but I'm a big fan of the games and I'm looking forward to, to playing the third one very soon. There are so many iconic moments in Mass Effect, and that, of course, trickles into Mass Effect 2 as well, and I expect no less from the third game, but that moment that you got to score with the Citadel is is one of those moments where it's just such a memorable thing that you get to experience as a player, and the music just, of course, enhances it that much more. Well, it's just great that Bioware as a developer are just such brilliant storytellers. You know, I think mm-hmm. any composer would just die to, to work with those guys. They really are absolutely superb. And, you know, without them, I wouldn't have had such a great piece of video to work to. And, and the, the voice acting is superb and the dialogue writing. Everything is just a dream to work on with those guys. So, um, yeah, it was just another great opportunity, really, which I was very grateful for. And, um, you know, a brilliant game, brilliant series. And I, I hope this is not the end of it. Even though the last one I, I hear is a lot of it's set in London, so I'll be looking out for any um, sovereigns coming down over the next three or four weeks.
My father used to do a lot of composing when I was young, so I think from a very early age I, I used to sort of wake up at the weekends and hear him actually composing at the piano, traditional pencil and paper, and just improvising and trying out ideas, and then I, I could hear it sort of forming into a, into a piece of music. Um, it was mainly instrumental music and some chamber music that he composed, so um, it was an amazing experience, but also it kind of, it just made it feel quite natural for me to do that, which might sound a little bit strange, but it's, it's one of those environments that you grow up in that you just sort of... Uh, I guess emulate what you, what your family does and, and think that's kind of the norm. Sure. <laughs> um, and then of course through um, playing trombone in, in orchestras, I mean I'm a, I'm a huge fan of some of the Russian composers, especially Shostakovich and Stravinsky and, and people like that and, and that whole kind of more sort of 20th century um, music and then um, Debussy on the piano, that's you know, one of my favourite p- uh, piano composers and then Holst and all the big mm. symphonic works um, and then you know completely changing tack um, you know when I was studying jazz I was looking at people like Chick Corea and Herbie Hancock <laughs> and all those kind of amazing um, composers and, and pianists um, and then everything from sort of electronica especially from, from this country um, over here in the UK we have you know bands like Prodigy Mm-hmm. and Pendulum and, and all these sort of big um, electronica artists that, that I've definitely uh, really enjoyed listening to and, and has influenced me in, in various ways and kind of everything in between really. I, you know, I like quite a lot of folk music. I, I worked on a, a project that sadly didn't ever get released but I was doing the score to Highlander and I actually worked with a, a, a Scottish uh, folk band called Capacaley who are, you know, just incredible sure. um, folk musicians. So a lot of different influences go into to my style and it's it's partly due to what I like listening to outside of when I'm not composing, what I listen to for pleasure. Mm-hmm. And also I, I still study quite a lot. I go to classical music concerts here in London and in the States and uh, just to sort of see orchestras and different conductors and different interpretations of a you know symphonic work or a chamber work. And I think the key is just to be you know quite open-minded about music. It's such a, a vast area that I don't think you know anyone can claim they know it all. Thanks very much for having me on and and, um, thanks for the fans for the support and um, hopefully I'll continue doing it for another 20 years. Listening to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese, and our technical director is Sam Keenan. We had additional technical support from Cameron Wiley. Holy cow, there are great episodes coming up, but I'm only going to tell you about our next one. It features Sasha Dekitsian, Chris Velasco, and Sam Hewlett, all of whom wrote music for Mass Effect 3. And believe it or not, none of us had yet finished the game, so it's pretty spoiler-free. Your support for Top Score can manifest itself in several ways. You can become a member of Minnesota Public Radio at the dollar amount of your choosing. Go to minnesotapublicradio.org for more information about that. You can also follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at Top Score Podcast. And you can send us feedback at classicalmpr.org slash topscore. That gun looks more fitting for a woman. 
Do you know much about guns, Mr. Bond? No. I know a little about women. <laughs>